what that does, it gives me back my own power. A good mentor of mine, she talks about compassionate curiosity. How do we look at our role, not shaming ourselves or blaming ourselves, but with compassionate curiosity. And that starts to open up some doors that we may not have seen before. Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I'm your co-host, Randy Cox, and I'm here with my very hardworking wife, Kristen. How are you? Good. And I want to talk about the irony of this episode. So this episode is about one of the seductive seven, the last one, about blaming and accountability. It's really ironic because accountability isn't a bad thing. But we, all the seductive seven are tools and we misuse them. We abuse and misuse them. And it's funny, we started to, to do this podcast and our son was being really loud. And then our dogs, we have two dogs, Pitbull and an old English bulldog. And they're super sweet and they're completely naughty. So as soon as we start, they're like barking, making all these noises. And I'm frustrated because I want them to have dog bones. We always have dog bones, dog bones distract them. So when we're doing things like this, they're quiet. We haven't had dog bones in the house. And I'm starting to feel frustrated. And this is the base of blaming and accountability. There's something we want and we can't get it. Or we can't get it away. So I want dog bones in the house. I've wanted them for three weeks. We don't have dog bones. So what I end up feeling at the base of this frustration we have when we want government to perform better or our employees to be better or our management to hear us or the legislature to change, when we, when we want things outside of us to change and we are faced with the reality that we're helpless to change those, like we can't force people to change. We can set boundaries. We can have, you know, measures on our people and all that stuff, but we can't force them to change. And when that happens, I at least feel frustrated. And that's usually a sign of like, I don't know what to do. I've tried this and nothing's working. So it's easier just to blame. And we see this. This is why this one requires so much self-awareness and so much emotional courage in the midst of a chaotic work environment, not liking how your boss is doing things or your colleagues or your peers, in the middle of that to say, I'm not going to blame everyone around me. I'm going to get clear on what's my role in this, what can I do differently, and come from a place of authentic, like what's really going on inside you. Just anger and blame isn't going to solve the problem. So when we come from a place of being a little bit more authentic and honest about what's going on inside us and we understand that it's not everybody's job around us to solve our problems for us that we need to be masters of our own destiny and we have to look at what is our role in all of it what can we do and we'll have some case studies today to talk through but what's my role what's my job in all this now it doesn't mean you don't go ask for help doesn't mean we don't have a strategy to talk about how to get dog bones in the house. We certainly go ask for resources or support or changes when we need them. But we first got to understand what's our role in all of this. And the idea that we just blame or wait for somebody else to solve our problems or get angry at people or have more oversight, the intentionality behind a lot of those efforts, I think, are misplaced. And that's what today's episode is about. Very good. 
I thought we'd maybe start off with a couple examples from your second book, you and, you and Dr. Ashley's second book, where you talk, the first example, you talk about an actual scenario with a, this was a, an agency that was charged with investigating fraud in health and human services programs, correct? Yes. All right, so why don't, we, why don't you walk us through that and like what, what was happening there and, and specifically like how does that apply to this principle? So the agency wasn't performing the way it wanted to, right? So management feels frustrated. What I was talking about earlier, we feel frustrated. We want things to be different than they are. And then they started blaming most of their employees. And I, I, as I recall, I think it was third, they said that 30% of their employees, if not more, were poor performers and needed to be on performance improvement plans. So they're frustrated. The outcomes aren't there. I'm going to blame my employees. They're now accountable, not me. And I'm going to put them on performance improvement plans. We see this with the federal government, right? They put states on PIPs, performance improvement plans, without saying, hey, maybe we should put the federal government on a performance improvement plan for all the policies and changes and stuff like that they put on states. But so the managers, but nothing's really changing. And they're actually down like 40 people at this point. You know, not there's there's a hiring freeze, but at the same time, like why would you want to stay in an environment where, you know, you're always going to be on a PIP performance improvement plan? So when we work started working with management, we start with the premise like what's your role in all this? Edward Deming once said that a poorly designed system will beat a good person any time, and I really believe that. And when we believe people are showing up to work not to screw it up, they want to do a good job, but the system isn't allowing for that. Management's got to step back and say, what's our role in it? How is the system designed? So in this case, these fraud investigators, great people that had to go out and investigate fraud, there was some really poor workflow designs. And one of the big challenges is they didn't have a good triage, an upfront way to screen work, work that shouldn't even be in the system should be screened out. And if it should come in the system, different work types of work should go down different pathways. No good triage in the system. So these investigators any complaint that came in just got dumped on them. So they're spending tons of their time chasing down, looking at information and complaints that they shouldn't even have touched. There was no valid basis for the fraud in the first place. And when they set up some simple triage elements and you know they did some other issues in their operations, lo and behold, people's performance went up. They had this huge increase on um, fraud identified and Dollars identified and dollars started and dollars collected, but dollars identified was their big measure. And they were doing this with way fewer people, and all of a sudden their employees started to perform better. So management had to stop and say, ah, it's not just about making my people more accountable and blaming them. What's my role in all this? So just to be clear, this the 30% of the employee base that they thought might be subpar mm-hmm. are part of this group that actually starts to turn around the yeah. whole yeah, there's, they're part of this group that all of a sudden these quote-unquote poor performers, the system as a whole starts performing better. And now caveat, I'm not saying that there's not sometimes some people you have to, you know, I've had to fire people before. I, I, I get all that. But even in those cases, you know, have we done our due diligence? Have we done all we can do? And then, of course, you make, have to make the hard calls. But when you see, like, the federal government saying, oh, an entire state, we're going to put an entire state agency on a performance improvement plan. But not really understanding what the federal government's role may be as an oversight entity. Seeing this in a state where it's a type of system where they 
look at um, a population that's vulnerable if they're being abused or neglected. And they were really behind there not meeting deadlines. <laughs> and this is a county government. And the state solution is going to come in and we're going to do more audits, more audits and more quality control, which just made the situation worse because people are already underwater and now they're going to have to spend their time looking at more corrective action plans, more quality control, more QC audits, all this stuff. I remember you, you, I remember you cracking up one time. We were reading a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, The Beekeeper. One, yes. I love that book. It was something book. about the, the watcher beekeeper. watching the watcher watching yeah, the watcher. If you haven't read The Beekeeper, <laughs> I don't even know it's in print anymore, but there's a bee that's supposed to make honey. It's not making honey fast enough, so a beekeeper watches the bee, and it's still not making enough honey. So now you've got another beekeeper watching the beekeeper watching the bee, and it goes on and on. You have this big line of beekeepers. Yeah, vis- visually in the I book, it. it's like a spread, and it actually goes uh, from the left page all the way yeah, to the, the, all the I love that story, but... You, you know, know, we were. Mm-hmm. I was doing prep today for one of your speeches. I just have like an initial call with people, mm-hmm. and this is a speech coming up. And I was asking what the problems were for the folks that would be attending. And one of the things he talked about was burnout. Yeah. So, like, if you if you have a great workers, they want to do a great job, and you put them in a system like you're talking about, where they're getting it's an unwinnable game. Like forty people have left, and the people who are stayed are being rewarded by all this oversight and you're going to get burned out really fast there's no way for you to win yeah and to succeed in that environment yeah and the the second example when i you know the the state came in to do more oversight for this this local government that was struggling they were making the situation worse and what i wish they would have done is said wait what role do we have in all this in fact the state was generating this report it's an overdue task report and Anyway, it was forcing really bad multitasking across the workers and making it very difficult for the, them to complete their work. And if the state just would ask the question, to just, just to be curious, not even to shame yourself. This isn't about shaming anyone. Even the oversight entities mean want to do a good job, right? It's, it's not that they want to go in and make it worse for the, the state or the local government. They themselves want to do a good job. But when we just pause and say, what's my role in this and am i acting out of a place of my own frustration that i don't know how to regulate my own feelings and so i'm just going to jump to blaming somebody else or am i acting out of intentionality of of, of problem solving starting with what's my role i'll see you know agencies looking for budget requests from the legislature and not all agencies get them. And I haven't gotten that everything. You know, being over the, the budget for Governor Herbert for eight years, we didn't get everything we wanted. Very often, you know, it's easy to say, oh, the legislature just didn't get it. But I'd go back and say, what was, you know, what did I miss in my presentation? What wasn't clear? Maybe I wasn't clear on the problem. What that does, it gives me back my own power. Instead of like abdicating my power, the, my own way I do my life and how I solve problems to somebody else, I take it back and really start to think about, you know, how could I grow? What could I do better? So just ask the question, what's my role? And you may say, I don't know what it is, but that's okay. Then go figure it out. A lot of times we're doing stuff and we don't even know we're hurting the system. And that may force you to say, I don't know. And you're going to have to go seek out more information. And we have to be humble and curious and... A good mentor of mine, she talks about compassionate curiosity. How do we look at our role, not shaming ourselves or blaming ourselves, but with compassionate curiosity? And that starts to open up some doors that we may not have seen before. Mm, That's very good. Okay, so I think sometimes it's helpful 
to see the same principle from a couple different perspectives. And so there's another example in the book that I wanted to cover, which was in a car dealership or a car dealership network. And this is where they, they had a, a metric that was good in some times, but it was actually counterproductive in other times. Yeah, it was total sales, right? Total sales, because if they could sell a lot of cars, that was beneficial for our, all the departments, for new cars, used cars, services, and parts. Because you get a car, now you're servicing the car, and then you get more parts, and it, you know, great thing, the more cars you have. And that's great when the economy's working well, and you can sell a lot of cars. But when the economy slows down and car sales goes down, it puts the salespeople in a real dilemma, these competing measures because they can't sell as many cars. And so the only way they could sell more cars is if they discounted them because people were tightening up their belts and resources are tight, so they're not willing to spend as much on a car. They tighten their belts. And so they wanted to discount. So they'd start discounting the cars. And so, yes, they were selling all the many, many cars, but actual profits were down. So in that case, management... You know, they had to make some changes to how they did their operations, but they also had to start thinking, you got to start thinking about differently about even how you measure. Very often in systems, how we measure things is the biggest culprit of creating conflict for our employees, uh, poor performance, overwhelm, and burnout because we're setting up the mo- wrong measures in our systems. And so in that case, it's really up to management. They, they were trying to over, they started to scrutinize each salesperson and how they are selling and looking at each transaction, which just demoralized the sales team. So when management stepped back and you know, there's more to this case study, but thought about how they sell, how do they, what we talk about mistake proofing the sell, how they think about their measures, it started to change the environment for the people. Yeah, I can see how like you actually meet your sales quota. Yeah, <laughs> in that environment, you probably felt like you should be you should be patting me on the back. Well, you think uh, I, I've used this example earlier today, but you know we can look or early in this podcast we can do a report and just look at how many tasks are overdue. So you have all these, you know, you have an individual and say they have thirty cases, and each case has a bunch of tasks, and then we just put out a report. And we measure employees on what percent of your tasks for all these cases are ever due. Okay, that's great. We're doing that. But the real goal of the system for the customer is not to keep on top of all the tasks. It's to actually complete the investigation or comp- make a final decision or you know, in, make a final what we call uh, modification for child support to actually get a completed piece of work through. And the way they're measuring it isn't supporting that. And so the organization, when that happens, work stays in the system longer because we're baby-stepping everything forward. Everything gets baby-stepped forward. Nothing gets too beyond the finish line, completed. So then more work piles in because the poor employees can't finish their work they have as more work comes in. So they get behind even more with more overdue reports and tasks. And then the management comes in and is like, oh, we've got to put all of you on a performance improvement plan and we need to do more quality control and audits and more scrutiny and oversight, more blaming and accountability. Mike, stop. <laughs> stop. What's our role? Now, again, it's not that we don't hold people, quote unquote, accountable. If you've designed a great system and people just aren't showing up to work and their work is really sloppy, I get it. It doesn't mean that people who are fraudulent, with taxpayer dollars, you hold them accountable. There's things you hold people accountable for, but our intention behind it matters. 
and understanding what our role is behind it matters a great deal. So, yeah, so each one of these, so each one of the seductive seven, you have like an illusion and a right mindset for each one. So mm-hmm. why, don't we, why don't we cover that? What is the illusion we have with this one? What, what are we thinking that's not really true? Mm-hmm. And then what is the, how should we be thinking about this? Well, and this is why I, I think for this one, it's such an emotional one. It's true for person, our personal lives and professional lives. And I, I don't think you can disconnect the journey of improving ourselves with the journey of improving our organization. Because in this one, we assume that if somebody else changes, the illusion is if somebody else changes, somebody else outside of us does things differently, things will be better. You know, it's like in our own personal lives, like, you know, we want everybody else around us to change when it's really sometimes us, how we're reacting to situations. The the reality, the, the right mindset, what we have, we want to have is to start with what we already have stewardship over. The right mindset is let me first focus on what I have stewardship over. Personally, my own emotions, my own thoughts, my own responses in our organizations and management, how I'm setting up the measures, how I'm designing the flow of work. Even with policy, very often we'll set up a policy. On one hand, we want to grow the economy. Here's an issue in Utah, for example. We want to grow the economy so we incentivize a lot of jobs to come here. On the other hand, we want good quality of life, so we want fewer people here, right? We don't want our, our canyons so crowded. And if policymakers don't really start with, mm, what's the real problem I need to solve here? How do I break that conflict? What happens is we shift, we take one side of that problem, let's say grow the economy, and we sacrifice quality of life, and then somebody else pays the price. But is policymakers, even then, if they can say, what's the whole problem I've got to solve? What's the full enchilada that I've really got to manage? And I'm not going to, you know, bl- I'm not going to blame industry for growing. I'm not going to, you know, bl- people in Utah sometimes get frustrated from people coming and moving in from out of state. The real question is what's going on at the policy level uh, before I just like get frustrated and mad at everybody else. So, so this is a tough one. I, I, it's kind of cheesy, but one of my favorite quotes from Gandhi is, we must become the change we want to see in the world. I fell this very, very often. And the older I get, the more I see that the reality around me has more to do with my inner world than the actual you know, reality of the situation. And do we have the emotional courage to take ownership of what we have stewardship over in the workplace? And when you do that, you start getting results that you didn't think you could get. And then your, your circle of influence, as Dr. Covey would talk about, grows, right? You, you have a bigger circle of influence because you've done well with what you've been given. You can show an impact or result as an individual worker, as a team, and, and then now your voice has some credibility. Well, that's a good way to end. Any, any final thoughts or you want to end on that? That's a good idea. I would just end that you have a lot more power than you give yourself credit for. There's a lot more you can do with what you have than you probably give yourself credit for. So, you know, trust in yourself a bit more. It's been a journey for me to trust in myself. Always haven't. Still have my own insecurities like everyone else. And learning to trust yourself that you can make an impact with what you have uh, is a really important starting place. And when I was talking to this this uh, event organizer today, and he was trying. He was talking about the the one of the challenges they face is that every government is being asked to do more with the same or more with fewer resources. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about there is no cavalry 
that's coming yeah. to yeah. save you. There's and mm-hmm. and that you know the reality you had you have come up with is you know the one to four, one to five ratio for every dollar we have. There's four or five requests. It's never you're never going to buy your way out of this. You have to find the hidden capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So we were talking about the the analogy back when we were kids, and there I don't know if they do this now, but like the cereal boxes, you'd have like those flimsy glasses you could get inside the cereal box that has like red lenses Mm -hmm. and you could put those on and look at the cereal box and there'd be like words or pictures or something on the cereal box that you couldn't see they're there all the whole time but you couldn't see them unless you had these certain lenses on and it does it does often take a guide like somebody who who has the glasses to see that there is more with your existing resources than what you think there is yeah and you may not know and that's okay but you can ask for help yeah yeah yeah. it's very You may you may have been, you may be using everything you can see, but just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Well, well, here's here's the reality of the situation. And maybe we close on this: is you may be in a position that you don't like. You're not happy with your supervisor or with a team member. Or what, you're not happy with it. So you really have just a handful of options. One is to try to change the person or the situation first without changing yourself. Good luck with that. Probably not going to be incredibly effective. Two is to accept the reality of this situation. And the opposite of accept isn't approve, it's deny. So when we live in denial, the reality of the situation, we just feel like we have no choice but to live with it and stew with it. What happens is we start to feel helpless. And we may not really articulate it that way, but we're so frustrated inside and nothing's changing, and we feel powerless to do anything about it, we just get angry and frustrated. We see this playing out in the political world. I think the third and healthier option isn't just to blame somebody or just to stew in frustration, but I think we always have a choice. The choice may be, I want to make a difference here, but I don't know how. I need help. I need somebody who's been down this path before to give me some guidance and mentorship. I need some support. It may be doing your own you know, maybe you have a skill set, you're a deficit in one of your skill sets, and you can see that because you're not in denial. You're looking at where your stewardship is, and maybe there's a deficit, and you need to work on that, right? I've had my own series of deficits in my career. I can see where those are and where I need to strengthen them. Those are really our options. Live in denial and just be you know, frustrated or be angry because you're trying to change everybody else and they won't do exactly what you want them to do. Or start with just this one question. What's your role? That's excellent. That's where we're going to end, right there. Well, once again, thank you, everyone, for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you have not already, I encourage you to connect with Kristen on LinkedIn. Follow her there. She posts uh, two or three times a week. And feel free to DM her there if there is ever a topic you'd like her to cover in a future episode. Also, encourage you to check out the Fulcrum, which is Kristen's private online training community. It's also where she keeps her longer form content, and we have videos and training and things that you can get there that you can't get anywhere else. So you can uh, learn more and request to join by visiting uh, www.jointhefulcrum.com. And as always, if you found something of value today or in a prior episode, please like and share the show with a coworker. And we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks on our next episode. So stop decorating the fish.